John 13, 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow later. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a cock or rooster shall not crow until you deny me three times. Amen. Let's pray. Father, sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. We ask that our faith might grow, that we might grow from faith to faith and from glory to glory. Seeing you and seeing you in the face of Christ, may we increase in faith, in godliness and in righteousness. Teach us now from your word and by your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen. Christ our Lord has been in this upper room discourse the Last Supper discourse in John 13, which begins in John 13 and ends in John 17. The discourse part itself began in verse 31 of our chapter, 1331. And we are reminded, or we need to be reminded, that in this chapter and toward the end, He is teaching us to live in humility toward one another and before God and to love one another to show our love for God and display our love to the world. If we love one another, then those in the world will understand that we are disciples of Christ. Furthermore, he is assuring us that he will remain with us though he departs. Though he departs out of this world, he will remain with us particularly by the power and work of the Holy Spirit in our life. He will remain with us. He leaves us with His Word, and He leaves us with His Holy Spirit to sanctify us. The Spirit of truth to teach us the truth and sanctify us in the truth, because the Spirit works with the Word to cause our faith to grow. Well, having said this aspect or this point that he is going to leave. In verse 33, in verse 33, little children, I am with you a little while longer. You shall seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. Now I say to you also. Though he has, has already spoken about glorifying God by dying on the cross, though he's already spoken about loving one another and practicing humility toward one another, he also spoke of his departure. And when he spoke of his departure, this was the one subject that stuck in Peter's mind, Simon Peter's mind, the Apostle Peter's mind. That was the one thing that stuck in his head because it troubled him. He didn't want to be separated from his Lord. He did not want to depart from his master or his master to depart from him. That was the one thing that came to his mind. Verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, Where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow later. Where are you going? Did Simon Peter not listen carefully? 
Did Simon Peter not know? Certainly he knew, but he didn't listen carefully. Earlier, Christ was telling them that he was from above, not from below. He told the multitudes and the disciples heard him say that. He says in John 8, 21, he said, therefore, again to them, I go away and you shall seek me and, and shall die in your sins. Where I am going, you cannot come. Where I am going, you cannot come. Verse 22, therefore, the Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself. Will he, since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. Verse 23, and he was saying to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. He was clearly saying, here that he's going back above. He's not from the world. He does not originate from the world. Yes, his physical body came from the world, but he himself, being deity, being God in the flesh, he originated in heaven, and he's going back to heaven. That's what he means. And if you don't repent of your sins, believe in me, you'll die in your sins, verse 21. But the apostles, 11 of the apostles, Simon Peter included, he did believe. So he was forgiven and he knew the way of eternal life. So Christ was explaining here that he is going to basically die and rise again and ascend into heaven. I'm going to depart. I'm going to be gone, first temporarily gone and then permanently gone from the earth. That's what he meant by saying a little while longer and I go away. Peter knew this. He knew this, but in his zeal, in his wrongful zeal, in his distraction, he is saying, Lord, where are you going? Which was also the same with Thomas in chapter 14, verses 1 to 6. In 14.5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? These disciples they hear Jesus clearly say something, but it doesn't register at moments and they ask the questions that don't need to be asked. Because whatever he had taught has not sunk into them permanently because their faith was still little. They needed to grow in faith and grow in understanding. That's why Peter is asking this question, Lord, where are you going, Jesus? So he asks it not because he is strong in faith, not because he is attentive, not because he is mindful. Christ said it, I believe it, and I have full conviction, and I will practice it. He did not have that frame of mind or heart. He didn't have that. That's why whenever these issues come up, whenever the uncertainties come up, his flesh rises up and makes him say, Lord, where are you going? I don't know. And Jesus answers. He answers first gently and then harshly. Jesus first answers gently, then harshly. First, the gentle answer, verse 36. Where I go, you cannot follow me now but you shall follow later. You can't follow now, but you shall follow later. That must mean his ascension into heaven, his presence in heaven. You cannot follow me now to go to heaven, 
But you shall follow later to go to heaven. When it's your time to die, then you shall follow me. You will be with me in heaven. We know he means that in reference to heaven and their joining him in heaven. From chapter 14, chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. You know it. You already know it. He's confirming it. He's telling them, I've already taught you. You already know it. You already believe it. But like Peter, Thomas says, Lord, we do not know the way. What is the way? What, what are you talking about? First, he answers gently. You're not going to follow now to heaven, but you shall follow later. But that gentle answer did not help. Look at 37. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Why can I not follow you right now? He is so zealous, he wants to follow right now. And he asserts, I will lay down my life for you. He asserts something that does not end up being true, not initially. Eventually it ends up being true, but not initially. Because we do know, as Jesus predicted in the next verse, that Peter will deny Christ. If he denied Christ, then he didn't lay down his life for Christ because he was afraid of what might happen to him when he was asked about whether he belonged to Christ, whether he was a disciple of Christ. He was afraid of that. He was fearful of man. So he didn't end up doing this. But he said he would prematurely, with little faith, prematurely. He's saying, I will follow you right now and I will lay down my life for you. In a burst of emotion, in a burst of wrong thoughts, in a burst of erratic thoughts, he's not calm and composed in his mind and heart about the reality of his own life. He fails to realize that he has to grow in faith. He has to grow in conviction. He has to grow in perseverance, in endurance. Endurance or perseverance is not easy. It takes many trials. It takes many temptations. It takes many incidents. And sometimes in those many incidents, we fail. We fail because we don't lack the conviction of faith to persevere and to withstand those onslaughts, to withstand the persecutions, to withstand the criticisms of who we are, what we believe, and how we live. Peter was not at that point at this point. And Peter is not unique. Like we say, we, we are saying, we are just the same as Peter. It's easy to bash Peter. It's easy to criticize Peter, but Peter is just like us. We are just like Peter. And even like Thomas in the next chapter, verses 1 to 6. We are just like them because our human nature, our fallen human nature, is the same. 
Just like Adam and Eve in the garden, we would have done the same if we were there. So, the gentle answer did not help. Peter insists in the flesh, wrongfully, I will lay down my life for you. Verse 38, Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Christ challenges Peter's assertion. Will you lay down your life for me? Christ casts doubt on Peter's statement, declaration, I will lay down my life for you. He throws doubt on it. He says, are you sure? Do you know what you're saying? Do you know what you're talking about? Do you understand the implications? Are you prepared? Do you know what exactly you will do if someone confronts you, someone threatens to persecute you, someone threatens to hit you, someone threatens to put you in jail, someone threatens to fine you? Are you sure? Do you know what is actually going to happen when that incident actually does happen? Are you that bold? Are you that brash? Will you? Meaning, will you indeed lay down your life for me? Are you sure about that, Peter? He's casting doubt on Peter, right? But then he declares a prophecy. Christ is the supreme prophet, the greatest of all the prophets, even greater than John the Baptist. He's the prophet from heaven. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, verse 38, truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster shall not crow until you deny me three times. Yes, he's predicting the time of day, but he's also predicting the animal. He's predicting also the denial. Peter will deny Christ three times. Three times, not once, not twice, but thrice, three times, you're going to deny me. Now, that is a prophecy that was fulfilled. Truly, truly, I say to you, speaking with great confidence and assertion, in truthfulness, this rooster shall not crow until you, Peter, my disciple, one of the apostles, will deny me because you don't understand how little faith you have. You don't understand that you need greater faith, greater courage, greater boldness to avoid denying me. In fact, shortly it's going to happen three times. Actually, Christ said these words not only to Peter, but also to the other disciples in this occasion. And remember, this is at the occasion of the last Supper. The last supper occurred two days before the last Passover. And at the last Passover was when the Lord's Supper was instituted. We should not confuse these three meals. The last supper, two days before the last Passover, at the last Passover, Jesus also instituted the last supper. Uh, I'm sorry, the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper at the last Passover. Yes, confusing terms, but these must be separated and understood that way. Why so? Because at the time, 
at the time of the last Passover and Lord's Supper, when that was instituted, Christ told Peter again that he was about to deny him. He told Peter two days in advance from John 13, but on the very day, Christ also told Peter it was going to happen. Look at Luke 22, 31. Luke 22, 31. 31 to 34. Luke 22, 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And he said to him, Lord, with you I am ready to go both to prison and to death. And he said, I tell you, Peter, the cock or rooster will not crow today until you have denied me or denied three times that you know me. Peter is told in advance that Satan has demanded permission to sift Peter like wheat. I want to break him all up. I want to sift him. This is what I want to do. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Christ means Peter's faith did not completely fail. It did not entirely fail. Yes, when he denies him, his faith is failing him at that moment. But Jesus means not completely fail. You will have your moment of sin and denial of me, but it's a moment of it. It's not permanent denial. Your faith will not fail you. Because, he says in 32, and you, when once you have turned again, what does it mean to turn again? To repent. When you have turned again or repented of denying me, strengthen your brothers. So once your faith fails temporarily, you will repent and then you will strengthen your brothers. You will have greater faith once you fail in faith, and then you will be able with that greater faith to strengthen, to encourage the faith of your brothers, the other disciples. But Peter, even on the, that day of the last Passover and Lord's Supper, he says, Lord, with you I am ready to go both to prison and to death. He asserts it again. He said it two days before, I, I will lay down my life for you. And now here he says, I will go both to prison and to death for you. Now, his words are good words, but it's coming from the flesh without realizing that his faith is small, it's little, it's weak compared to this temptation that he will face, imminently face, and in this case, Today, this very night, according to Mark. Mark says, this very night. Here it says today. That it's going to happen this very night. And then it did happen. And when it did happen, Peter wept bitterly. He repented. It says in Luke twenty-two, sixty-two. 
And he went outside and wept bitterly, showing that he was repenting when he had finished that third denial. He wept bitterly in true repentance. Let's turn to see this narrated in John, the book of John, John chapter 18. The book of John 18. The three denials of Peter. John 18. We start at 18.15 to 18. John 18.15 to 18. This will be the first one. And Simon Peter was following Jesus, and so was another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter was standing at the door outside. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought in Peter. The slave girl, therefore, who kept the door, said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the slaves and the officers were standing there, having made a charcoal fire. For it was cold, and they were warming themselves. And Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. That's the first denial. You are not also one of his, this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not, verse 17. He denies being a disciple of Christ. He denies being associated with Jesus Christ. Well, this interrogation in the, in the presence of the priest continues. That is, the high priest interrogates, questions Jesus. We pick it up at verse 25. Verse 25, 25 to 27. 25 is the second denial, and 27 is the third denial. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. They said, therefore, to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative of the one whose ear Peter cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter therefore denied it again, and immediately a cock crowed. Three denials. He actually and literally denied Christ just as Christ predicted. As he prophesied, so it happened. He actually denied Christ. Remember, Peter is just like you and me. We could easily point the finger at Peter, but really, he's just like you and me. What will we do What do we do when people ask us what we believe? What do we do when people ask, are you a Christian? What would we do and what have we done, what have people done in the last year and a half when the government threatened to fine us, when the government threatened to arrest us, when the government told us we could not meet as Christians? In one form or fashion, they told us, they prohibited us from doing certain things that Christians typically do 
in our worship and service to God. They stopped us. They tried to stop us, right? So these temptations are very real temptations, whether from major authorities or even from our relatives or from our friends. How are we going to react? How are we going to respond? Shall we put confidence in the flesh, as Peter did, or not? Philippians 3, Philippians 3, 1 to 6. Philippians 3, 1 to 6. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Writing the same things is a safeguard for you. It's okay to be reminded. It's okay to repeat oneself. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. Paul the Apostle says, I could put confidence in my flesh. I could go around telling people that this is who I am. And if I go around telling people this, then I would be disassociating myself from Christ or with Christ. It's either confidence in my flesh or it is Christ. How do we know that it is either or? Verse 7. We read verses 7 to 11. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, rubbish, garbage, trash, in order that I may gain Christ and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. He rejects confidence in the flesh to embrace Christ. He wants to grow in faith that I may on the basis of faith that I may know him. Well, doesn't he already know Christ? Yes, but he wants to grow in that knowledge. Rejecting the flesh, embracing Christ. 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3, 18 to 23. 1 Corinthians 3, 18. No confidence in the flesh. 1 Corinthians 3, 18. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become foolish 
that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God, for it is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise, that they are useless. So then, let no one boast in men. For all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All things belong to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. Why boast in men when we belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God? Why trust in the flesh? Why trust in that and not trust in God? Romans seven eighteen. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for the wishing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. When we trust in the flesh, there's nothing good in the flesh. And the convert, the true believer, he has the new heart and the old heart, the new man and the old man. The new man causes the wishing to be present, but the doing of the good is very difficult. The flesh is very strong. The flesh wants to conquer and smother the new heart, the new man. That's what the flesh wants to do. There is a war that is waging between the spirit and the flesh so that you may not do the things that you please, according to Galatians 5, 16 to 18. This is the war that is happening. So we cannot, we should not put confidence in the flesh and boastfully say that we will lay down our life. Instead, we must understand this principle of growing from faith to faith. This basic principle that our flesh is very strong and we need to have many, many minor victories to overcome the flesh so that when a major temptation comes, we are able to withstand it. We have to have many minor victories so that when the major temptation comes, we have a major conquering victory. The scripture teaches this. Eventually, Peter did have a major victory. First, let's see Peter, and then we will see ourselves. Peter in John 21. John 21, 18 and 19. John 21, 18 and 19. After the denials and after Peter repented, then the Lord was raised from the dead and he had many occurrences over a period of 40 days to fellowship with our Lord. That's what Peter had along with other disciples. So then, before the ascension of Christ... John 21, 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. 
Christ is predicting that Simon Peter, eventually, in his old age, will have his hands stretched out, someone else will gird him, someone else will clothe him and put a belt around him to keep his clothes on, and force him to go to a place where he doesn't want to go. And where would that place be? But to the place of crucifixion. He could have, at that point, avoided crucifixion by saying, oh no, I don't believe in Christ. I'm not a Christian. No, 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 no. I, no, I worship your pagan Roman idols. No, no, I, I'm just like the Jews. So just like you protect the Jews, you don't, you don't uh, round them up. I'm not a Christian. I'm not a, I'm not a Christian denouncing your idols. No, no, I don't do that. I don't follow Jesus. Peter could have done it late in life, but he had these many occurrences, minor occurrences, that were building up and granting him stronger and stronger faith. And at the end of his life, he professed Christ to his death, his forced death of crucifixion. And that is confirmed in verse 19. This was the kind of death that Peter would experience to glorify God. Now, it's the same with us. Luke 16, 10. Luke 16 and verse 10. We go from little faith to greater faith, little responsibility to greater responsibility. Luke 16, 10. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. In this context, he's talking about the use of money and our possessions, but it's also true in terms of faith. If we are faithful with the very little, we'll be faithful with much. If we're unfaithful or unrighteous with the little, we'll also be unrighteous or unfaithful with the lot. Romans 1.17. Romans 1.17. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. In it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. What does that phrase mean? From one degree of faith to a greater degree of faith. From little faith to great faith. From weak faith to strong faith. That's what he means by faith to faith. 2 Corinthians 3. 2 Corinthians 3.18. 2 Corinthians 3.18. From lesser glory to greater glory. 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, from glory to glory, from lesser glory to greater glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. He's explaining the same thing. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 19. Galatians 3, 14 to 19. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth 
derives its name. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Don't the Ephesians already believe? Of course. He has explained it in chapters 1 and 2, that they've already believed. For by grace you have been saved through faith, Ephesians 2, 8. He's already explained things like that, that they already believe. So why would he say here in his prayer for them that he wants God to grant that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith? Verse 17. He means more faith. We know he means more faith explicitly because of what he's saying here in verse 19. You may, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. We have, we have a cup, we have a vessel that has some faith in it, but he wants that vessel to be filled up with all the fullness of God. May the vessel be full of faith, not just a little bit of faith at the bottom, but may it grow and grow and grow and be full of faith. Remember that man, the father, who had a son possessed by a demon, and Christ was saying uh, to them, O unbelieving generation, remember that? Well, when the father was confronted with the words of Christ, what did the father say? Luke, or Mark 9, 24, he said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I do believe, but I want you, by your grace, to give me more belief. Give me more faith. I want to believe more. And I want my son to be healed. That's what he said. Mark 9, 24. And in Matthew 6, verse 30, Matthew 6, 30, when Christ is teaching us not to be anxious about our circumstances, food and clothing, not to be anxious about these daily earthly matters, what did he say to his disciples? He called them, O men of little faith. O men of little faith. So if little faith is what they possessed, what's he calling on them to have? Great faith, much faith, to grow from little to much in faith. And if you grow in faith, then you will not be anxious about your circumstances, about your daily needs. That anxiety will disappear and dissipate. So then, let us grow in faith. That is why we worship That's why we gather. That's why we study the Word of Christ. That's why we pray for each other. That's why we encourage each other. That's why we advise each other. That's why we do all of these matters, to grow in faith, so that we're not like a piece of a fire, the ember of a fire set apart away from the main fire that disappears and extinguishes because it's not in the main fire. 
We cannot be that way. But together, grow in faith. Furthermore, this denial of Christ, this also may happen to us. It's not just Peter. It's not just the 11 disciples who all fled when Jesus was being arrested. Said, and all the disciples fled. Yes, they fled at the moment of arrest. A few of them gathered back, like John and Peter, um, at different occasions. And John and Jesus' mother were there at the cross. They fled, but they came back. But we also might flee. We have to watch that. We also might deny Christ and flee. Galatians chapter 2. This happened to pillars of the church. Not just Peter, but it happened to others in the church. At the time of the Apostle Paul. Galatians 2, 11 to 13. 2, 11 to 13. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision, that is, the Jews. And the rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. What's the problem? These men, certain men from James, when they came, Cephas, Barnabas, and the rest of the Jews in that place, they kept away from the Gentiles because they didn't want the men sent from James to criticize them for associating with the Gentiles, Gentilic Christians, Christians from the nations of the world who were believing and associating and fellowshipping, worshiping God with the Jews. So the Jews, Cephas, Barnabas the Jew, and the rest of the Jews, in verse 13, they all said, no, 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 uh, we, no, we, we don't talk to those Gentiles. We, no, yeah, I know they say they're Christians, but no, we don't go over there. We, we're not, we don't believe like them. No, and we don't eat with them. We don't eat with them. We don't fellowship with them. So they did that. And when they did that, it's a denial of Christ. It's a denial of the gospel. And it says in 11, he stood condemned. In verse 13, it's, in hypocrisy, their hypocrisy. It's hypocritical. And do hypocrites go to heaven? No. No. Further, in 2 Timothy 4, 2 Timothy 4, verse 10, there was a man who used to be a companion and a disciple a disciple of Christ and a companion of the Apostle Paul. He used to minister the gospel with the Apostle Paul. But in 2 Timothy 4, 9, uh, 4, 9 and 10, 4, 9 and 10, it says, Make every effort 
to come to me soon. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. The first man mentioned there, Demas, the reason he separated from Paul was not because he went to another locality to preach the gospel. The reason he separated from the Apostle Paul was having loved this present world has deserted me. So if he's deserting the Apostle Paul, who's preaching the true gospel of Christ, this Demas temporarily followed Christ, but finally walked away from Christ. He denied Christ because he loved the present world. And one more example will be 2 Peter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. 2 Peter 2, 20. 2 Peter 2, 20. For if after they have received the defilements, have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment delivered to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit and a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. These people, these men, have escaped the the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. These men temporarily stopped practicing their sins because they came to a knowledge of Christ. If they were drunkards and they used to go to the bars... They used to get drunk or on the way home, go to the store, pick up a six pack, come home and get drunk. They used to practice that that kind of sin. But then they heard the gospel and they said, yeah, you know, this is kind of a miserable life. The life of a drunkard. I don't like it. And it always gets me into trouble. I don't like it. So then he hears the gospel and somebody invites him to church. He escapes the bar. He escapes going to the store after work on his way home to buy his liquor. He escapes doing things like that. He goes to church. He's told you have to be sober. Drunkenness is a sin. And for a month, two months, maybe two years, he avoids that sin. But then it says here, They are again, verse 20, they are again entangled in them and are overcome. Entangled and overcome. If you are caught up in a trap and are overcome by the trap, the last state has become worse for them than the first. Then in 21 he says, it's better if you not hear the gospel than to hear the gospel and temporarily be relieved of your sin, and then you want to go back to your old sins, it's better not to hear the gospel and go back because you're basically denying Christ. You're denying what you first or earlier said you believe. 
You said you believed. You said it was great. You said you had joy. You said it was good to be with the people of God. You said you don't miss the liquor. You said all that, but now you've gone back to it. So it shows that it was all a sham. You weren't real. It was, you weren't serious. And you're just like a dog that vomits and then goes back to eat its vomit. You're just like a pig that is washed up and cleaned, but then released, and then the pig, which likes dirt and filth, goes back to the filth or goes back to the garbage or whatever, and it lives its dirty life all over again. Why be that way? Don't be that way. Well, those who deny Christ end up doing that. They end up living that way. Now, finally, we must ask, what is it that keeps people from sinning, generally speaking, but also sinning in this way? What is it that keeps them from sinning in this way? When the temptation to sin is presented, when the time of temptation comes, when someone asks you, are you a Christian? When that happens, what is it that's going to keep the faith? What is it that's going to keep you strong? What is it that's going to keep you from saying, no, 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 I'm not a Christian. What's going to prevent you from saying that? The fear of God. The fear of God. Instead of fearing man, fear God. Isaiah 51. Isaiah 51, 12. Isaiah 51, 12 to 16. Not only will the fear of God prevent us from sin, it is the fear of God that will comfort us and protect us. 51.12 I, even I, am He who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies and the Son of Man who is made like grass? That you have forgotten your Maker who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth? That you fear continually all day long because of the fury of of the oppressor as he makes ready to destroy? But where is the fury of the oppressor? The exile will soon be set free and will not die in the dungeon, nor will his bread be lacking. For I am the Lord your God, who stirs up the sea and its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. And I have put my words in your mouth and have covered you with the shadow of my hand to establish the heavens, to found the earth, and to say to Zion, you are my people. God declares he is our comforter. And he says that in your pride, who are you? Why do you think you're great that you are afraid of man? What's so good and special about you, particularly, that you are afraid of man who dies? Men die, they're just like grass that are here temporarily and then disappear. We should not forget the Lord, our maker, the Lord who has the ability not only to create the heavens and the earth, but also to cause the seas to be stirred up and its mighty waves to roar. 
God is the one that does all that. He's got greater power than man. Even the strongest of men cannot withstand the power of a tidal wave, correct? But God is the one who created the tidal wave. Why fear the fury, the anger of our persecutors, our oppressors? Don't do that. Instead, trust in God. Fear God and trust in God. Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 13. Jeremiah 1, 13 to 19. Jeremiah 1, 13. Jeremiah is being commissioned here as a prophet of God, a true prophet. He's being commissioned. He is a young man. We don't know how young he was, but he was a youth. He calls himself a youth in verses 6 or 4 to 10. In verses 4 to 10, he calls himself a youth. He was a young man. And often, young men have less courage than old men because the old men have had many experiences in life to develop courage, right? Often it is that young men don't have it. So, God tells Jeremiah the prophet, the young man, the following. It starts in Jeremiah 1.13. And the word of the Lord came to me a second time saying, What do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, Out of the north the evil will break forth on all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the families of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they will come and they will set each one his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem and against all its walls round about and against all the cities of Judah. And I will pronounce my judgments on them concerning all their wickedness, whereby they have forsaken me and have offered sacrifices to other gods and worship the works of their own hands. Now gird up your loins and arise and speak to them all which I command you. Do not be dismayed before them, lest I dismay you before them. Now behold, I have made you today as a fortified city and as a pillar of iron and as walls of bronze against the whole land to the kings of Judah, to its princes, to its priests, and to the people of the land. And they will fight against you, but they will not overcome you. For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord." The judgment of foreign nations, and particularly the Babylonians, will come against Jeremiah's own people. The land of Judah and the city, capital city of Jerusalem, and against the temple of God. Because of the evil of the people of Israel, because of their own wickedness. So Jeremiah is supposed to, the young man is supposed to tell his own countrymen all around, God is punishing you for all of your wickedness. Can you imagine having to say that? Being a young man, going around from place to place, and even the house of God, the temple of God, even in that place, on the grounds of the temple, and in the temple, telling the worshipers, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, God's going to punish you. How hard that would be? Even though that would be difficult, God told Jeremiah... Do not be dismayed before them, 
lest or else I will dismay you before them. Do not be dismayed. Don't be discouraged because if, if you are discouraged, I am going to humiliate you. If you don't preach what I tell you to preach, you're going to be shamed by the very people you're supposed to help. That's going to happen. Meantime, even when they fight you, they are not going to overcome you. So don't worry about it. When they fight against you, I am with you to deliver you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to protect you. It will be well with you. How so? Matthew 10, 28. And do not fear those who kill the body. Matthew 10, 28. And do not fear those who kill the body, but afterwards are unable to kill the soul. But rather... Fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. God has greater power than any of our enemies. God has greater power to destroy the soul and body. They can only destroy our bodies. Yes, that's unpleasant. We, won't, we don't want that to happen. But even if it does happen, it's better that our soul is protected than for our soul and body to be thrown into hell, like Demas having loved this present world. It's not good to be like Demas, loving this present world. The Lord will deliver me from every evil deed and rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into His heavenly kingdom. 2 Timothy 4, 18. That's the promise we have. God will be with us and deliver us from whatever people do against us. And when Paul said that in 2 Timothy 4.18, he was about to be executed, which history tells us that the Roman emperor Nero executed the apostle Paul. And Paul's saying, it doesn't matter because God's going to deliver me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. If we have the fear of God in us, knowing who He is, He cares for us, He loves us, we fear Him and what He might do to us, that will help us overcome the fear of man. We need many, many daily occurrences to strengthen our faith, to overcome, so that when the big temptation comes, we are able to withstand that temptation. May we be so, by the grace of God. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.